There are certain words in the English language that courteous people, couth people, people who have some intelligence just simply don't use. Obviously, going all the way back to the Old Testament and to the Ten Commandments, we understand and appreciate the fact that we should not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, We should not profane the name of God because He is our Creator. He is our Father in heaven. He is the one that holds our destiny in His hands. And so I don't understand or never can appreciate the fact that anyone would want to take God Almighty or His Son, Jesus Christ's name, in vain. But there are also other words in the English language that um, most people who are decent people would understand and appreciate are filthy words that are words that most people don't use in polite uh, conversation. Uh, We might call them curse words or that type of words or just dirty words. A little boy one time was uh, asking a preacher, he said, Preacher, do you ever cuss? And the preacher looked at the little boy and he says, No, I don't ever cuss, but I know all the words. There are words that we may know, but because of our, our politeness, because of the fact that we try to be good and decent people, we just simply don't use those words because they are bad words. And even from an early age, we are told certain words we don't say or do because of uh, the, the filthiness that's associated with them. But also in the English language, there are words that in and of themselves is not a bad word, that in and of themselves is a word that is okay for a person to use in common everyday language. But there are words that oftentimes seem very, very harsh. Uh, Words that uh, we do not want someone else to call us, even if it's not a bad word, but we would not want someone to call us by these particular names. And one such word that I want us to think about this morning is the word liar. Liar is not a bad word. It's in the dictionary. It's something that can be used in everyday language. But this morning, I don't think any one of you would like for me to stand here and point you out and call you a liar. No one likes being called a liar because of what the connotation behind that word means. It means that you are someone who cannot be trusted You are someone who will go back on their word. You are someone who will tell us a lie, knowing full well that it is not the truth. You are someone who may try to deceive us. So even though this is a perfectly fine word as far as the English language is concerned, it's still a very harsh word because no one wants to be called a liar. Now I'll bring that particular word up because of the scripture reading that we had this morning. Glenn read for us from Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, where the Apostle Paul writes, he says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now you look at this passage, and if you're not clear what, about the context of it, it brings out some curiosity. But I want us to talk about that a little bit more. But first of all, I want to make sure you see what I want you to see in this text. And that is, 
where it says, Let God be true, but every man a liar. And what did Paul mean by that? What was he talking about? Well, within the context of the book of Romans, Paul is dealing with the fact that, first of all, that um, Jews, they're sinful. Romans, they're sinful. In fact, in the same chapter in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, he says there are none righteous, no, no one at all are righteous. And therefore, he gets into a discussion about God's place within the scheme of redemption. And he gets to this particular section talking about the fact that there may be some who may make the objection that since everybody is lost and not everybody turns to God for salvation, the fact that some will be lost, even though God has provided a plan of salvation, that somehow or another, since that didn't work out, since everybody's not going to be saved, then God needs to change His plan. That somehow or another God messed up, that He didn't do things the way that He should have done. In fact, in the text it says, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? And the faith of God here is the faith of the idea that God says certain things need to be a certain way, and He's going to do things a certain way. And the point that Paul is making is that regardless if the whole world was lost, God has set forth His plan on how to redeem mankind, and whether the majority of the world doesn't agree with it, whether the majority of the world may not respond to it, He says, let God be true and every man a liar. It's hard to believe, but there are those who will question God. There will be those who will say, well, I don't understand why God did it this way. It doesn't seem very fair to me. I don't understand why He wanted to put people on this earth if he knew they were already going to sin. I don't understand why he made it this way. I don't understand this. And they question God. In fact, I would say that the majority of the world that we live in now questions God. But Paul wants us to understand, and we need to appreciate the fact, that God is always right. That God is always faithful. His promises always come true, and His threats always come true. Let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what the majority of the world may think or even the minority of the world may think. Man is not the one who makes the decision. It is God who makes the decision because God is God. And anybody that would say anything other than what God is saying, Paul says... Well, we might as well let every man be a liar. Now, I want us to take this particular thought and idea and springboard it through some thoughts that we need to be reminded of. We first of all need to be, before we get into the lesson, need to be thinking about the fact that today God speaks through us through His Word. Anything that doesn't agree with God's Word is not God's Word. The Bible is God's final authority on everything that we do in faith and practice. So in some ways we could say, let the Bible be true and every man be a liar. But yet, the Bible is God's Word, and therefore we can still say, let God be true and every man a liar. But with that particular basis in mind, 
I want us to think about some things today. The lesson won't be long, but the lesson, I hope, will make some points that need to be made. First of all, this morning, I want you to think about the fact that God is true when He says that Jesus Christ is the only possible way of salvation. Now, if I was to go on television this morning and say something like that, oh, there would be so many uh, things said about me. There would be so many uh, big-time news people brought in to criticize me because I am being so unkind. I am being so mean to other people to say the fact that there is only one way of salvation, and that salvation is Jesus Christ, is to be so close-minded, to be so hurtful and mean to other religions. The very idea that I would say that someone who is a Muslim cannot go to heaven. The very idea that I would say someone who is a Buddhist can't go to heaven. The very idea that I say that someone in any other religion other than the Christian religion cannot go to heaven would be, seem so mean and, 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 un, and, and just ugly in today's society. In fact, there are those even sometimes among us who proclaim to, proclaim to be Christians that sometimes because they, they want to be kind, because they want to be loving, uh, because they want to put the emphasis on God's grace and His love, they'll say, well, you know, if God wants to save people uh, without Jesus Christ, then, uh, then God can do that and, and they will be okay. Well, folks, let me tell you something this morning. And I believe this without a doubt. If God had any other way to save mankind than by sending His only begotten Son to die on the cross, He would have done it. But God says, and He's true when He says, that the only way a person is going to be saved is by His Son, Jesus Christ. And here's the reason why. And here's the reason why God couldn't do it any other way. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, Ezekiel reminds us, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The penalty of sin is death. God being the holy God that He is, He cannot tolerate sin in His presence. A person cannot be in the presence of God because of his sin, but more importantly, because of sin is disobeying the will of God. The penalty that goes along with that is the death penalty. Something had to die. And so in the Old Testament, we begin this dichotomy of sacrifices. Um, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. God demanded that blood be shed because of the sins of man. But we understand and appreciate the fact that a goat's not going to take my place. A A bull's not going to take my place. Uh, some silly dumb animal is not going to take my place. And therefore the writer in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10 beginning at verse 4, uh, tells us that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Uh, instead, he goes on in the text and he says, but a body is needed. A human sacrifice is needed. God takes no pleasure in, in burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so then in verse 10 of, of Hebrews chapter 10, so he prepared a body, and that body is Jesus Christ. In other words, it was only through Jesus Christ that the proper sacrifice could be made for the sins of mankind. 
sin had to be atoned for. Now, there may be some great person in the past by the name of Muhammad that people respect and appreciate, but he didn't die for anybody's sins. There may be some uh, very nice person that uh, people like to rub his head because they think he was such a good person by the name of Buddha, but he didn't die for anybody. In fact, it's only in Christianity do we have the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 67, Jesus just finished a big discourse on how He was the bread of life and how that mankind had to turn to Him because He was the bread of life. And some of His disciples, when He heard this, when they heard this, they turned away from Jesus and followed Him no more. And so Jesus asked the rest of the disciples that are standing there, He says, will you also go away? And Peter oftentimes being the spokesman that he was. In verse 68, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life, and we know that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. John chapter 14 and verse 6, a few verses later, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except by me. Peter, when he was preaching in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, There is neither salvation and no other, for there is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. Talking about Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, we are reminded that if we do not have Christ, we are without hope and we are without God. So people may call me mean, and they may call you mean. They may be saying that you're not being very sensitive to what other people believe and whatnot. And that's not my point to be insensitive to people. But I know this, that Jesus Christ is the only possible way of salvation. There may be people in the world today that tell us, well, you, you can't, that can't be the case. That, that is, that's just being so narrow-minded that that just can't happen. Well, regardless of what other people may say or think, I know this. Let God be true and every man a liar. There's something else I want us to think about this morning. God is true when He says that there are consequences if you fall away. A passage I mentioned in Bible class today in the discussion, Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. Jesus says, No man having put, put his hand to the plow and looketh back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And as I said in class today, there's a number of ways of looking at that text and exactly what Jesus meant. He could have been talking about the fact that once you become a Christian and you put your hand to the plow, that there's no need for you to look back and see what you have plowed to see how much work you have done because there's never enough work you're going to be able to do. There's never enough plowing you're going to be able to do because we're saved by Jesus Christ and by His blood. It's not because of the work that I have done. So looking back at your past accomplishments as you're plowing, you shouldn't do that. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. But also there's the idea that if we're going to live the Christian life, that we need to keep plowing, that we need to keep looking ahead, moving forward. As Scott said in class, it's about direction, not perfection. But there's also another way Jesus is talking about here in the text. And it's the possibility of the man who is plowing 
But he looks back to his home, if you will, or looks back to his past life, and he leaves that plow and goes back into the world that he was before. In other words, there are those who think that um, there are no consequences when it comes to leaving the Christian faith, that there's no consequences when it comes to leaving the church, that a person can just give up on Jesus Christ and, and that there's no consequences involved. There's a passage in the Bible, in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I know there are those that tell us that a person who is a Christian can never fall away. But here is someone who had escaped the pollutions of the world, and it was done through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They were unentangled, but now they're tangled again and overcome. And the latter end is worse than the beginning. Why is it worse? Well, before they were lost, but now they are lost after knowing how to be saved. In fact, Peter goes on and says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And of course, makes a very vivid illustration. A dog going back to eat something that he threw up because it upset his stomach so bad, or to a pig that had been cleaned so thoroughly, but as soon as she gets clean, she goes right back to that mud pit again, and gets dirty once again. My point in all this is not to have a lesson about the impossibility of, of apostasy, but instead for us as Christians to understand and appreciate, we need to be careful as we live the Christian life. Uh, there is an old song, and I can't remember the exact words to it because it's not in our song book, and it's a real old song, but it went something like, I am nearer the shadow of the veil than ever before. And in the very next line, it says, am I nearer to heaven today? And the idea there is, what are we close to? What, are the, what is the thing uh, that motivates us? There are so many times in Christianity where we are content to just simply be a Christian and do nothing more. We're content to be lukewarm, if we will. Uh, we were talking about this in class today, and people brought up how that people oftentimes just uh, don't want to do anything. And I thought instantly about some phrases that I some, sometimes use, and that is that we sometimes as Christians want to be spectators, not participators. We'd rather sit on the premises than stand on the promises. Uh, we're talking about it's something more than just simply being a Christian for the sake of being a Christian, but you're involved, you're active, you're a part of the church, you are very involved in this family here, not because we just want you to do that for the sake of doing that, but because of the fact that God is true when He says that it's a possibility that a person may fall away. Well, the devil may tell you something different. Other people may tell you something different. Your own heart may tell you something different, that you don't have to be involved, that you don't have to be a part of the worship services, that you don't have to be involved in the fellowship of the church, that you don't have to be someone who is doing something actively for the Lord's cause and growing closer to Him every day. And you may even think to yourself, well, I can tell myself that I don't even need a church. I can just, 
I can just be just as good a Christian without the church. But once again, Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. But God also is true when he says that one day you're going to die and there's going to be a judgment day. I know we don't like to think about that. Especially when we think about our loved ones or people who are older than us and people who are younger than us and even our own selves. We don't like to think about the fact that we're going to die, but we're going to die. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, then after that the judgment day. Every single person here, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of your race, regardless of your education, regardless of your material blessings, regardless of who you are, if the Lord doesn't come back, you're going to die one day. That's going to happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us that there is a day that has been appointed when we're going to be judged about the things which we have done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Romans chapter 14 and verse 12 reminds us that each one of us one day will give an account to God. So that's something to consider. First of all, we're going to die. Secondly, as sure as we're going to die, there's going to be a judgment day. And thirdly, as sure as we're going to die and there's going to be a judgment day, we're going to be judged by the things which we have done in this body. It won't be what dad did or mom did. It won't be what son or daughter did. It won't be what some friend did. It won't be what the elders did. It won't be what the preacher did. It won't be what anybody did. You individually will one day stand before God And there's going to be a judgment day and you're going to have to either stand before Him in a saved condition or a lost condition. You're going to have to stand before Him still covered in your sins or you're going to stand before Him with your sins removed. You're going to stand before Him and look forward to a day where He says unto you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys which have been prepared for you since the beginning of time. Or He'll say to you, Depart from me, I know you not. One day we'll stand before God and at the end of the verdict we'll either spend eternity in heaven or we'll spend eternity in hell. I know sometimes the devil tries to tell us, ah, no, there's not going to be a judgment day. God can't be that way. God, you know, God is the God of love. He's not really going to send anybody uh, to the terrible, terrible punishment of hell. I mean, think about all those people out there who, who, who have no clue about the gospel. Or all those people out there who are good people. Uh, in fact, they're better than me. They'll do more for people than I'll even do anything for. You can't tell me God's going to send people like that to hell. But Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. Regardless of whether or not I think I'm going to die, Regardless of whether or not I think there's going to be a judgment day, it doesn't matter what I think. Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. Now one final point, and this is a very important point. God is true when he says that conversion is necessary, beginning with faith and ending in baptism. 
In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, God pointed out to the crowd that was listening to him on that day. He says, Except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice what he says there. First of all, he says you need to be converted. There's a conversion process that needs to take place. I can't continue to stay the way that I am if I'm going to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a conversion that takes place. He says, except ye be converted. But then he goes on and says, except ye be converted like little children. He's using little children as an illustration because little children are innocent. And therefore what he's saying is, except ye become converted and become innocent, then there's no way in the world you're ever going to enter the kingdom of God. We mentioned earlier that God is true when He says the fact that the only way is Jesus Christ. And we began that discussion by pointing out the fact that we are sinners, and the only way we're going to be saved is through Jesus Christ. Well, what does the Bible say about a person being converted and being saved by Jesus Christ? Well, obviously, the beginning place, Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 24, He says, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. In other words, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or else you're going to die in your sins. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So it all begins with faith. Now, the religious world will tell you that's where you stop. Many in the religious world says, well, all you got to do is believe. But the same God who said that faith was necessary also tells us other things are necessary. In fact, Jesus Christ in Luke 13, 3 says, Nay, except ye repent, you will all likewise perish. So it's no wonder when Paul was preaching a sermon on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 when he says, There was a time that God winked at the ignorance of man, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So we see there's something more than just faith, that a faith should lead a person to repentance or a change in life, maybe a conversion if you will. But the Bible doesn't stop there. When Jesus was talking uh, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he tells him in verse 5, he says, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. A person needs to be born of water and the Spirit. And we may not understand exactly what that is from talking to uh, Jesus and Nicodemus in this particular case, but we also know as we go through the Bible, that the Bible tells us what this being born of the water and the Spirit is. In fact, over in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, Jesus says, or Paul says that we are all children of faith in Jesus Christ. But then he doesn't stop there with just faith. He says, for as many of us that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, it begins with faith. We're all children of God by faith, but as many of us that have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, we've already mentioned it, but let me make the point again. If you're not in Christ, Paul says you are without hope and without God in this world. He said earlier in Galatians that if you're going to be in Christ, then you're going to be baptized into Christ. He, that's where you're wrapped up by Jesus Christ and a part of His body. But even if we just left it at that, that would be enough. But we have the commandment of Jesus. 
Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And therefore, Peter preached that very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, the very first time that the terms of pardon were offered, the very first time that the plan of salvation was delivered, the very first time the Lord's invitation was offered. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They understood how lost they were. And Peter told them in verse 38 to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And the text goes on and says that many that believed the words of Peter obeyed and then were added to the Lord's church. The very last story that we have in the Bible of a person being converted was the man who was called Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, when he was called Saul, saw the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. If there ever was a person that believed that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God, it would be Saul, because he saw the resurrected Lord. We hadn't had that opportunity, but Saul did. He knew that Jesus was real. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew that he had resurrected from the dead. He believed in Jesus with all his might. But when the preacher got to Saul and told him what he needed to do to be saved, even though he already had faith, in Acts 22 and verse 16, the preacher told Saul, who would later become Paul, he said, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul had great faith, but he still had his sins because they needed to be washed away. In fact, later on, the same Apostle Paul, trying to uh, explain to the church at Rome how important it was for a person to be baptized. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, he says, You were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, and now you are the servants of righteousness. What was the form of doctrine that he was talking about? Well, Paul stated earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first um, five verses there, that the gospel in a nutshell is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's the form of doctrine that was delivered unto them. So you go earlier to Romans chapter 6 and look at verses 3 and 4. Paul points out how you obey that form of doctrine. He says, Do you not know that as many of you that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? And those of you who have been baptized into His death have risen from that death, resurrected to walk in newness of life. So in the same matter which we were buried with Christ, we rise with Jesus Christ. Now look at the picture he painted. Look at that form of doctrine that they obeyed. They said that you were a sinner, but you died to that sin. If I can just pull a pen out of my pocket. Let this be a man. You were a sinner, and you died to those sins. You're going to be converted and give them up. You're buried in the watery grave of baptism, and then you rise to walk in newness of life. In the same way, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day. That's how we obey the gospel. We die, we are buried, we rise again. Now the religious world today tells us that's not the case. The religious world today tells us that this man right here, he dies to his sin, and then he 
rises to walk in newness of life, and then later on, as an answer of a good conscience to a good faith, or an outward sign of an inward faith, or because you want to join some church, later on you are buried. Folks, I've done a lot of funerals in my day, but I've never buried a live man. It's always been a dead man. And if you do it that way, that changes the whole thing Paul was saying in Romans chapter 3, 4 and 5. A person becomes a Christian because they die to sin, they are buried in the watery grave of baptism, and then they rise to walk in newness of life. It's the only way the illustration worked, Paul says. You can't die, resurrect from the dead, and then later be buried just because you want to join a church or because of something uh, that wants to express your faith. That doesn't fit with the gospel of Jesus dying and being buried and resurrected, and it doesn't fit with what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. But yet still, there will be people today in the religious world who will debate me on this, There'll be people in the religious world who saying that I'm putting works into the plan of salvation when uh, I'm not putting works into the plan of salvation. I'm putting obedience into the plan of salvation. There'll be those who are saying I'm being so narrow-minded because how in the world can I require a person to be baptized? I mean, what if on the way to being baptized they had a car wreck and died? Well, let me tell you something. Let me echo the words of Paul once again. And it's simply this. Let God be true and every man a liar. I know in our society today, there are those who think that some lies are worse than other lies. In fact, we kind of categorize lies into uh, little lies and, and big lies, uh, white lies and black lies, if you will. We sometimes categorize lies. And to be honest with you, there are some lies that cause more harm than other lies. A little white lie might not cause any harm, but if somebody would tell a lie about another person to slander that person and to ruin their reputation, that's a bad lie. Or if somebody uh, might say that uh, their wife looks good today when they might not uh, actually look that good, and I would never do that to Karen, obviously. But then somebody else might tell the lie saying, yes, this is the medicine you're supposed to take knowing full well it's something that's going to kill them and still gives it to them. My point is that there are some lies that are worse than other lies as far as the harm that they do. But probably the worst kind of lie, the most harmful kind of lie, is the lies we tell ourselves. The lie that I don't need to be a Christian. A lie that there won't be a judgment day. A lie that, that Jesus Christ is not the answer. I can take care of my own self. A lie that I don't need to obey the gospel. Or even the lie that I don't have to be involved in the work of the church. I can just simply be someone who is a Christian in name only. Or even the lie, yes, I know I need to become a Christian. I know that there's going to be a judgment day. I know that I need the blood of Jesus Christ to save me, but right now I think I've got plenty of time that I don't need to worry about it. Let's let this be the case. Let God be true and every man a liar. Won't you come as together we stand and see?